Welcome to the Graceway Sermon Cast. Graceway is a Baptist church located in Lexington, Kentucky. We have a heart for God and a deep love for people. You can learn more about our church by visiting www.gracewaylex.org. Now, here's this week's message. Romans chapter 12. I was attempting to preach through the entire chapter. Uh, of Romans chapter 12, all 21 verses, and we got through two verses. So, um, <clears throat> you know, um, I knew it was already, I was already biting off more than I could chew, uh, which I plan to do plenty of on Thursday at Thanksgiving. I'm going to bite off plenty of more than I can chew then. I know that there's some other, uh, other gluttons that are out there as well. Looking forward to Thanksgiving meal. Um, but, uh, but I think we bit off more than we could chew in, um, in the sermon last week. We only got through one point in this, uh, in this message simply entitled, uh, The Game Changer of Grace. The Game Changer of Grace. And um, last Sunday, I kind of led off with the story of, you know, when, uh, when the Red Sox came back from three games down to beat the Yankees in the ALCS and go on to win the World Series. And that there was a pivotal moment in that series uh, when that whole series shifted. And that was when Dave Roberts stole second base. You may think that's not a big deal, but that shifted the momentum. It told the fans in the stands at Fenway Park, it told the team on the bench, uh, in the Red Sox bench, that there was at least one person that wasn't ready to call it quits yet. And it became something that was infectious that just spread through the entire stadium and through all of New England and all the way through the league. And also the Yankees kind of got the picture, uh-oh, the whole thing has changed. The momentum shifted on one stolen base. There are things in life, there are things in our world that we call game changers. They may be moments, catalytic moments that spark, uh, that spark a revolution or spark a change in people's thinking or in, in momentum for people. It may be a product that people, uh, that people present. For instance, we all hold smartphones or cell phones. That technology was a game changer for our world. Maybe it was a good game changer. Maybe it was a bad game changer. I don't know. If you're on social media a lot, uh, there's not always good things going around on there. But it was a game changer nonetheless. It's changed the way that we communicate with people. Several years back, um, in, you know, before technology began to, you know, become, before we got into the technology age, there were things that led to that, like the discovery of electricity or the invention of the light bulb or, you know, running water in homes and those types of things. And centuries back, there was the invention of the wheel that was a game changer for things. We have seen game changers all the way through history, but the greatest game changer that we have ever seen or ever will know is the unseen game changer today that exists called the grace of God. Now, I call it unseen because it's not a product that I can just go to the store and pick up, but it is a very real thing. The grace of God, when it is applied to our lives, changes our lives. And when the grace of God was made available to us, when Jesus died on the cross, when he shed his blood to cover our sins and pay the sin debt, pay the ransom for our sins, he made grace and saving grace available to anyone and everyone who would believe. That's a game changer, because not only does it change the game for the life that is here to come, but it changes the game for the life that we now live. We don't have to live as slaves to sin. We don't have to live as people who are defeated and held captive by our sins and held captive by the dead man that we are in our sins. We are now raised to new life to live a, a life that is full of, of peace and joy and glory and abundant 
as Jesus said. It says, the thief comes to steal and to kill and destroy, but I have come to give you life and to give it to you more abundantly. And so that's what we kind of were, 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 were kind of grabbing onto last week. And we looked at Romans chapter 12. And I just want again, uh, just for the sake of, of, of catching everybody up, I want to dig in and read through the entire chapter again this morning, beginning in verse number 1, reading through verse number 21. And I'm reading from the Christian Standard Bible this morning. It says this, Therefore, brothers and sisters... And by that we know that Paul is writing to those who have already received the grace of God because they are brothers and sisters in Christ. So he's not speaking to the world at large, he's speaking to those who are already under grace. He says, therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God that you have received, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing unto God, because this is your true worship. Other translations call it your reasonable service. And then he says, do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the good and pleasing and perfect will of God. Meaning that while we may not be necessarily, our citizenship may not necessarily be on this earth, if we are citizens of the kingdom of God. We are to live transformed by the grace of God and the fact that we are part of God's kingdom. And then he says, but by, for by the grace given to me, I tell everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. What he's saying is don't get the big head just because you're under grace and you're saved and you know you're going to heaven and Jesus is your savior and the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. Don't get the big head and begin to look pretentiously or piously down on other people or judgmentally on other people who have not come to know Jesus Christ as of yet. And then he says in verse number four, he says, now we have many parts in one body and all the parts do not have the same function. In the same way, we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. According to the grace that is given to us, we have different gifts. If prophecy, use it according to the proportion of one's faith. If service, use it in service. If teaching, then do it in teaching. If exhorting, do it in exhortation. Giving, give it with generosity. If you have leadership within you, do it with diligence. Showing mercy, do it with cheerfulness. And he's speaking of the, the, the spiritual gifts that we have and as a gift of the grace of God that he gives us gifts. And he says, don't look at one gift as more important than another gift and begin saying, I'm more important to the kingdom because we're all of equal importance to the kingdom. We're all of equal importance to the Savior because each one of us is why he came to the cross. And then verse number nine, he says, let love be without hypocrisy. We see a lot of hypocritical love in our culture today. And I believe one place we should not see hypocritical love, one place that we must desperately see genuine love is in the church of Jesus Christ. Among, its brother, among brothers and sisters and among the believers, we need to see genuine love for one another and genuine love for those who need him as well. He says, let love be genuine. Detest evil. Cling to what is good. Love one another deeply as brothers and sisters. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not lack diligence and zeal. Be fervent in the spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in affliction. Be persistent in prayer. Share with the saints in their needs. Pursue hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud. Instead, associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own eyes or in your own estimation. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Give careful thought to do what is honorable in everyone's eyes. If it is possible, as far as it depends upon you, live at peace with everyone. Friends, do not avenge yourselves. Instead, leave room for God's wrath because it is written, vengeance belongs to, my, belongs to me, or vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, 
then feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For when you do that, you will be reaping or heaping fiery coals on his head. I love what verse number 21 says, do not be conquered by evil, but conquer or overcome evil with good. Dear Jesus, this has been uh, another long, trying, testing week for us, Lord. Um, as we continue through this, this, this period of, of pandemic and uncertainty, um, Lord, we've had to make decisions that did not feel good, do not feel comfortable, and at times, you know, I, I find myself second-guessing, and because the desire is that as your body, we need to be together, that we need one another. But also as your body, there are times when we need to consider one another and love one another uh, as well. And sometimes loving one another is keeping distance for people's health. And so, Father, I pray that through the decision that we have made as a church, you would be glorified through that. But I also pray that the witness of our church and the work that is taking place through here would not stop. The opportunities that we would have to share the gospel, to, to love on somebody would not stop because we don't do ministry just inside this building. We are the church scattered throughout our city. And so, Father, I pray this morning that you would speak to us as we are gathered virtually together. You say where two or three are gathered, you're in our midst, and there are way more than two or three gathered right now in this live stream, and you are in our midst. And Holy Spirit, we ask you to speak to us from your word today, that we would hear it loud and clear, but not that we would just hear it and stalk it up, but that we would hear it and take it as a challenge to do what it says. In Jesus' precious name we pray, amen. So we're going to try to get through verses 3 through 21 today, and I know you're probably sitting there laughing today saying we may not do it, but I promise you I'm going to make my best attempt to do that, all right? So I, I already see the guys on the, on the media team back there laughing at me, and they're shaking their heads and, and everything like that, but we're going to attempt to do that. Last Sunday we looked and we talked about the fact that in this, uh, in this passage, you see this word in verse number 1, therefore, and it, you know that the part of speech that is, is that's just a conjunction, and it's con it's con connecting two thoughts. The two great thoughts are chapters 1 through 11 and chapters 12 through the end of the book of Romans. Basically, therefore, is the pivotal word or the pivotal place within the book of Romans where Paul was talking about the grace of God, laid out the doctrine of the grace of God, and then in, verse, in chapter number 12, he then turns to say, if you have now then understood the doctrine of the grace of God, now what are we going to do with it? Because it's not just enough for us to know what the word says, we have to respond to it in action. Every word of God's word calls for us to make a response, to accept it, to apply it to our lives, and to, and to live by and be ruled and reigned by the word of God, the grace of God, by the spirit of God that is proclaimed to us through his word. And so in verse number one, he says, therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, and the mercy of God is huge. The mercy of God is great. The mercy of God is vast. It's more vast than the universe. His mercy is huge. There's enough grace to go around and then some. I don't know about you, but I plan on Thursday to get seconds, maybe even thirds, I don't know, of, of whatever it is I eat because it's Thanksgiving Day. You know, gluttony doesn't count that day, right? When it comes to God's grace, there's a never-ending supply of it. You can get seconds and thirds and fourths and fifths, and it just goes on for infinity. And trust me, folks, we need that much grace. We need that much grace, and the grace of God is there. And so what Paul is saying is, therefore, because of this immense amount of grace, 
what's it going to do to the way you live your life? Because he didn't just save us for after death. He saved us for the here and now as well. That's why he doesn't just take us to heaven once we're saved, because there's work for us to do. And that is to express three things. Three things that grace changes in our life. I believe that the grace of God not only changes my eternal destination, but it should also change everything about my life that I live until I get to eternity. And here's one thing that he said, and we looked at this last week. The grace of God changes our purpose. Because of grace, I have a new purpose. That was point number one last week. And that purpose is twofold. Number one is to glorify God. We saw that in verse number one, and I'm not going to re-preach all of that, but he wants us to glorify him in the way that we live our life. And And then the second thing, the second purpose that we have is to live with his kingdom in view. To understand that I'm not just living for myself, I'm not just living to make this world and this life that I have the best I can before I just die and and turn into worm food and, and just return to the ground. No, there's a life that is here to come as well, and I'm living with that kingdom in view, and living with heaven in view should change the way we live right now on earth. And so we looked at that last week, and I love this quote by D.L. Moody. He says, I'm not living in a world that controls me. I'm living in a world under the sovereign hand of my heavenly father, and he has it all under control. He said, Christians should live in the world, but not be filled with it. A ship lives in the water, but if the water gets into the ship, then the ship will go to the bottom. So Christians may live in the world, but if the world begins to get into them, they are then going to sink. So we must live with the kingdom in view and the kingdom at mind. And I love what Elizabeth Elliot also said about this. She said, the will of God is not something that you just simply add to your life. It's a course that you choose. You either line yourself up with the word of God or you capitulate to the principle which governs the rest of the world. So we're challenged in our purpose to glorify God and live with the kingdom of God in view. And so that's what I want to come to you with this encouraging challenge today is that if we know Jesus Christ, this world is not our home, as the old song says. We're just passing through. But while we're passing through, we need to have our eyes out for those who don't know Christ, lest we pass them up and leave them behind. And that's what leads to the second thing that we have because of grace, and that is because of grace, I have been given new power. My life changed the moment I called on Jesus Christ when I was a, when I was a boy. And the moment I called on Jesus Christ to be my Savior, I was given new power with inside of me. In verse number three of our text, we saw this. For by the grace that has been given to me, Paul says, it's not grace that I earned. It's not grace that I somehow schemed and manipulated to get. It's grace that was offered to me and freely given to me. And the only thing that I could do to get it was humbly as a beggar fall on my face before God and ask, in your mercy, will you save me? And that's the way that Paul was saved. That's the way that I have been saved. That's the way all of us are saved, is to fall on our face before God and say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I need your grace. And Paul says, it was the grace given to me. And he says, I tell you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. Instead, think sensibly as God has distributed a measure of faith to each one. And then he goes on to talk about these spiritual gifts that God gives to the church. We're all given gifts the moment that we get saved. It's not a thing that as we mature, we begin to earn badges and we begin to add spiritual qualities to ourselves. We begin to hone skills. Yes, that's true. But we are given gifts at the moment that we are saved. And we are to use those gifts for the glory of God. It's a power, first and foremost, that is completely and totally from God and of God. I don't do anything within myself 
to gain the power of God. I can't enhance the power of God other, the only thing I can do as Derek to enhance the power of God through me is to minimize Derek. That's what John the Baptist said when he saw Jesus coming. He said, he said, he must increase, but I must decrease. It's a power that is only from God and it's only of God. There's a real bad habit that we have, especially in the American church, of thinking that we can just program and plan the power of God to show up. We don't do it that way. That's not the way God works. The power of God is there, and it's from him, and it's of him only. So he says in verse number three, he says, this is what we need to keep in our minds so that we stay humble before him and grateful for the grace that God has given us. Because I don't know if you know this, but sometimes we can tend to get a little bit big for our spiritual britches. We can begin to think, hey man, I'm something. I've arrived. I've done this. I've gotten this degree, or I've served in this church, and I preach to this number of people, or I, my class that I'm teaching is growing, or uh, this and that and the other is going on, and so I'm something. The only reason that we are something is because God is in us. It has nothing to do with us. See, for a believer, an inflated sense of self is always going to be the result of a diminished view of God. I can't get a bigger view of myself without, first of all, making God smaller in my life. Because if God is his size that he needs to be, then there's no room for me. Just as John the Baptist said, he must increase, but I must decrease. So it's a power that's completely from God and of God, but it's also a power to impact the world. Verses 4 through 8 gives us a glimpse into that power. He's like, you have all of these gifts, and later on in the book of First and Second Corinthians, he talks about those gifts as well, and that's a study in and of itself. These gifts are not for us. These gifts are for the glory of God and for the gospel to go forth to those who still need it. It's also a power not only that is from him, but is a power to impact the world. It's also a power that unites us. It's a power that unites us. Understand this, church, and understand this today, that if you do not know Christ, the picture is not good. There is no picture that you can draw that leads to anything good. The picture's bleak, because the Bible says that without Christ, we are dead in our trespasses and in our sins. But once we come to Christ, there is a power that raises us from death to life, and that power unites us as brothers and sisters in Christ and in his kingdom. This treatise on gifts reminds us that we're no longer alone either. See, God did not create us to be loners. He didn't create us to just be these islands that are out there. Everything that the, that the Bible pictures about the church and about the brotherhood is that we are meant to be and to work together. And I know that seems ironic, but I think it's a providence that I'm preaching that on this day when we've had to go back to being virtual. We are not physically together, but that enhances the fact and brings even more to light that our togetherness is not always just based upon the physical. It's based first and foremost upon the spiritual unity that we have in Christ. The Holy Spirit that binds us and empowers us because I don't just exercise my gifts inside the walls of this building. I don't just exercise my gifts from 1030 to whenever I stop preaching on a Sunday. Our gifts are to be exercised at all times. We don't just go to church. We are called to be the church every day, every moment, everywhere. It's a power that unites us. Christianity and your faith, our faith is best lived out as a community project. We're better together. And this is one of the reasons that just a couple weeks ago we were welcomed into the Kentucky Baptist Convention. 
because we believe and, and have, have found through prayer and through, through, through discernment that we believe that God was calling us into a place where we would pool our resources together. We now support thousands of missionaries around the world through the cooperative program just by coming under this umbrella with the Kentucky Baptist Convention. We went from supporting a handful of missionaries to supporting thousands around the world. We united with over 2,600 churches in Kentucky and 60,000 churches around the world to make a gospel impact. The season of COVID has ushered in a time when we've had to depend on one another from a distance. But understand this, that while we physically may be apart, God's spirit still binds us and pulls us together. So it's a power that unites us. It's also a power that is greater than any other power. It's a power that is unmatched, and, and it cannot be taken away. It cannot be diminished because his power is greater than any other power. So we've just come through a really contentious election season. And can I just, can I just be honest with you from a pastor's perspective? I absolutely despise elections. I love the fact that we live in a nation where we have the right to vote. It is a blessing we should never take for granted. But I really don't like the way that we end up fighting with one another and dividing over people and over policies and over those things that with many of them, not all of them, but many of them do not really have any eternal significance to. Some of them do, and, I, I, and, and I'm very clear about those. There are differences between political policies and biblical policies. And I believe the church should be very strong to stand for biblical policies. But I don't like elections. Don't get me wrong. Like I said, I love living in a country where we have that. But for those of us who are in the body of Christ, I hate what it seems to do. I hate what it seems to do to us. I'm not saying that elections are not important. I'm just saying that there aren't issues, that, and I'm not saying that there's not issues that we should care about. What I am saying is that the level to sometimes to which we hitch ourselves to political parties and man-made agendas borders on the line of idolatrous. We are commanded as children of God to operate on a different power operate on a power that comes from God, that comes from the kingdom of God. And that power cannot be diminished. That power cannot be taken away or legislated away. And so to encourage us in this fact is the grace of God secures my power as a believer in Jesus Christ, that I am his and he is mine. See, maybe your team won. That's great. God's still on the throne. Maybe your team didn't win. Here's an encouragement. Jesus is still the king. Maybe our country might change directions, but guess what? The kingdom of God will forever stand, forever. Long after every other kingdom has fallen, the kingdom of God will stand forever. Because the grace of God gives us power that is greater than any other power that the world can offer, and no one can change that. No one. So rest in that confidence today, church. And I know that many people look at every decision that is made today as like, there's some, there's some scheme or there's something going on. It's a power grab in many ways. Understand that no matter how much power men can grab here on earth, they'll never supersede the power that God has on us. So thirdly, as we get ready to close out this morning, because of grace, I've been given a new purpose. Because of grace, I've been given a new power. And because of grace, I am called to a brand new practice. All of this comes down to, if I have a new purpose and I have a new power, what am I going to do with that purpose and what am I going to do with that power? Does anybody remember back in the day before March when people used to like go to these things called stores and there would be things on the shelves and you would go out and you would like, you know, take it to a cashier and you would buy something? Does anybody remember that before everybody just went and did everything online? 
there's a report that major retail corporations back in the days of, of mass shopping, major retail corporations at their customer service counters would put mirrors behind their customer service counters. If you've ever been to a customer service counter, a lot of them now have mirrors behind there, and there's a reason for that. They found, a study found, that many people are more aware of themselves and their attitudes when they can see a reflection of themselves. So they would hopefully, they put up these mirrors hoping that as people came up to a customer service counter, irate at maybe bad service or irate that they didn't get what they wanted, that they would see themselves, they would see the look on their face and the scowl as they were, as they were berating the employee behind that desk. And that the, seeing that and seeing their, seeing their nastiness would change their attitude and would change their demeanor. And they found that it worked 90% of the time. So that's why a lot of people installed mirrors behind those customer service, and service counters. Why? Because when we get a clear view of our real nature, it always is, it's not always pretty. That's why the Bible says that the, the word is a mirror that we look into. And as we look into it, we get a picture not only of the nature of God, which is pure, but we begin to get in reflection of that, we get a picture of our nature, which is not so good. And so the word compels us to rearrange our nature around the nature of God that is there. See, this was a game changer to the customer service industry. Customer service employees started lasting longer in their jobs because they didn't come every day getting beaten up. They were seeing, they were seeing people be a little bit nicer to them. They, they may have still had a problem, but they were a little bit more cordial in the way that they dealt with it. It was a game changer for that industry. And so what we have to understand is this. What we are called to do is to mimic the nature of Jesus Christ. And that's what it says in verse number 9 of our text. He says, let love be without hypocrisy. Basically, be genuine in your love. Don't let it just be lip service. Don't let it just be, say, be something that says, well, I'm a Christian, so I love you. Words are cheap. Actions cost something. So he says, let your love be without hypocrisy. Let your love be genuine. Let people see your love. Jesus Christ said this. He says, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples. If you have, you know it, love for one another. We as the church of Jesus Christ are to be known as a loving institution, as an institution that loves people. Why? Because we were loved by Jesus, and we should express that same love to others. It's a picture of what, this is a picture of what it looks like to mimic and represent Christ. Here's what Paul says. He says, first of all, Jesus is loving, so you be loving. He says, second of all, Jesus hates evil, so you hate evil. He says, detest evil and cling to what is good in verse number nine. Then he says, love one another deeply as brothers and sisters and take the lead in honoring one another. Do not lack diligence and zeal, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Rejoice in hope, be patient in your affliction. Be persistent in prayer. Share with the saints in their needs. Pursue hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud. Instead, associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own estimation. The game changer of grace is best seen in how it changes the way we live. It's really what this text is telling us. The game changer of grace is best seen in how it changes the way we live. This is why many people think and say and accuse Christians of being hypocrites. You ever heard anybody say that the church is full of hypocrites? It's because we say that we've received this game changer of grace, but it hasn't changed a thing about the kind of person we are. If Jesus is truly the Lord of our lives, then we begin acting and talking and being like Jesus. And there's not anyone...
among us. There's not a person out there who can say that I was just as much like Jesus before I got saved as I, as I need to be after I got saved. Because we were all dead in our trespasses and sins. Jesus changes things, or he should at least. I think verse number nine is so strong. He says, love for real. Don't just give it lip service. Show it, express it, mean it if you say it. Then it says, detest evil. If we find a way to be lovingly firm, that's what it means, is find a way to be lovingly firm with people. And this is how we keep from being conformed to this present age. We detest all evil, and we cling and support the things that are all good. And all of these qualities are the qualities of our Savior. Jesus said, the word says, to be conformed to the image of Christ. Let me ask you a question this morning, and ask this of yourself. Maybe even ask this of the Spirit that lives inside of you if you're saved. Holy Spirit, how much am I honestly allowing myself to be conformed to the image of Christ right now? Are the things that I'm exposing myself to conforming me and transforming me to your image, or are they holding them out? Because anything that pulls us away from God is sinful. And we need to make sure that we're aware of those things. See, this is the practice of grace. Jesus did all of these things. He loved us for real. He wasn't just lip service. He said, I love you, and then he went to the cross. He hated evil, and he embraced good. He hated evil so much that when we were enslaved to that evil, he broke the chains through, of sin and death through his blood. He took the lead in honoring others by washing feet. He blessed those who persecuted him. He prayed for those while he was on the cross. He rejoiced and he wept. He sought to live in harmony and when harmony wasn't possible, he did what it took to make it possible by humbling himself to a sinner's death on the cross that he didn't deserve. This is the practice of grace, and this is the grace that we're called to practice as well. It's a practice that mimics Christ, but it's also a practice that is geared towards winning a world to Jesus. Why is it so important that I mimic Christ? Not so that I can just walk around and say, hey, look, how much do I look like Jesus? The reason we mimic Christ is for the sake of others seeing Christ in us. I don't mimic Christ because I'm already saved. I don't need to mimic Christ so I can be more saved. I mimic Christ so that others who are not see the importance of being saved. It's not about us. It's about Christ in us, the hope of glory being seen by others who don't know Christ. And in verses 17 through 21, he says, don't repay evil for evil. Give thought to what is honorable in everyone's eyes, if possible, as far as it depends on you. Live at peace with everyone. Don't avenge yourself. Leave room for God's wrath. Because it's written, God's wrath is mine and I'll repay. That means I don't have to, I don't have to dole out vigilante justice. I'm going to leave it to God. And here's what he says. If your enemy is hungry, here's what you do. You feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For in so doing, you will reap fiery coals on his head. Coals, those fiery coals are a picture of, pure, of a purifying agent in the ancient culture. When we show kindness and grace to those who wouldn't show it to us, it's a purifying agent that calls them to say, what in the world compels you to do that? And then the answer is, it is Christ in me, the hope of glory. And I love in verse number 21, do not be conquered or overcome by evil, but conquer and overcome evil with good. As we get ready to close out this morning, I wanted to share one story and then we'll be done, and we'll probably just maybe sing one more song if that's okay. If you've got it planned, if you don't, that's fine. We'll close right out. <sighs> maybe you heard about the man who went to the doctor after he was bitten uh, by his stray dog. 
The doctor comes in and he says, yes, indeed, you do have rabies. And as soon as he heard that, the man got out a pen and paper and he started writing a bunch of names down on the, on the, on the paper. And the doctor said, sir, this is not a deadly illness. You don't have to contact your friends and your loved ones. It's not even a contagious illness. You don't have to contact people who, who have been around you. And he says, no, I'm not writing down people I care about. I'm writing down the people I'm going to go bite. <laughs> You've probably thought that before as if I had something I'd like to, sh I'd like to pass that on. You see, that's not the way we're supposed to act as children of God. As children of God, no matter what may have been done to us, we mimic Christ, and we do that for the glory of God and for the sake of the gospel. We need to act a little bit more like the missionary Watchman Nee, who wrote the classic book, um, The Christian Life. And he said this, he was a Chinese evangelist, and he tells the story of a Christian that he once knew in China that was in his church. He was a rice farmer, and his fields were laying high on this mountain, and every day he pumped water into the patties of the new rice. And every morning he returned to find that an unbelieving neighbor who lived down the hill went and opened up his drains and his dikes that caused all the, war, all the water that he had put into his field to shift down to his. He was stealing water from his neighbor. And he said, he began to think, he's like, what should I do? He's going to kill my rice, and he's going to, all because he's stolen my water, he's not even working as hard as I am. And he's beginning to think about justice and right and wrong and all those things. He says, what should I do? And he began to pray about it. And he decided that from now on what he would do is he would get up even earlier, and he would go out and he would first water his neighbor's field, and then he would water his own, doing double the work. After a little while, a couple of months of doing that, his neighbor finally came to him and said, why are you doing that? And it opened up a gospel conversation. His neighbor became a follower of Jesus Christ as well. Why? Because the grace of God was made manifest through his actions. And he was easily able to translate the grace that his neighbor showed him to understanding the grace of God more fully. And that leads me to ask this question. What if the reason that the world around us is struggling to understand and, and contemplate and come to the grace of God, what if the reason that people are so bent against the grace of God is because they haven't seen a clear enough picture in the way his children live their lives like Jesus? I don't want to be the reason that someone says no to Christ. I don't want hypocrisy or inconsistency in my life to be the reason that someone says, I don't know if Jesus is real. And church, we can't afford to do that. In a world that is becoming more and more skeptical of God and the truth of God's word, we must be genuine in the way we love. We must be genuine in the way that we work. We must detest evil and cling to what is good in all forms and do it in love understanding that there may be times when we look around and we think the way that we're being treated is complete injustice. But remember that God's justice flows, and it flows perfectly, and it flows on perfect time. Trust Him. So as we wrap up this morning, and it's odd because normally we have an invitation at this time, and we're going to try to do it digitally the best we can. I want to call you to a response. Again, we don't hear God's word just to hear it and stock it away and say, all right, I listen to another sermon. That makes me a good Christian for the day. No, we get into his word because his word is life to us. His word is food. How did it feed you today? What urging in your soul has this word soothed? And, and what pang within you has this word soothed? What is he asking of you? What is he asking of us at this point? And I believe there's a couple of things. Number one, if you're not saved, be saved. Today is the day of salvation. The mercy of God is great, but it is still withheld if you will not receive it. He doesn't
press it on us. He doesn't, he doesn't force it on us. He says, here is my son. Here is salvation. If you will follow me, if you will receive it, I will freely give it, but we must receive. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, let today be the day. The Bible says all of us have sinned and all of us come short of God's glory. All of us. That God commended his love or he showed us that genuine love we just talked about. He showed us his love when he died upon the cross to give us eternal life. If you don't know Christ, let today be the day. He says this. He says, if you will call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be saved. If we will repent of our sins and say, Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I know I'm not perfect. I know that my sins have separated me from you. I know that you went to the cross to pay my sin debt. And I know that I need you and I'm putting my faith in you and only in you to be my savior because it's a power that comes from him and only from him. I promise you he will save you. So if that's you today, if you need to trust Christ, just pray this prayer. Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. I trust you as my savior. I admit that I have sinned. I admit that I am dead in my trespasses and in my sins and I need you as my savior and my Lord. I'm trusting you with all I know. Save me. Thank you for your mercy and grace. In Jesus' name. If you prayed that prayer and you meant it from your heart, God hears your heart more than he even hears your words. He knows it. And he has saved you at this very moment. And if you did, if you trusted Christ and you saved, if, if you trusted him as your savior today, I want to challenge you just to let people know about that. Either put it in the comment box or call somebody after this is over with and say, hey, I, I trusted Jesus as my savior today. Call us, email us at gracewaylex at gmail.com. We want to know, we want to hear. We want to celebrate with you. We want to pray with you. We also want to just give you a couple of tips of, uh, just a couple of tips of encouragement and next steps of, of how to follow and how to live as a disciple. So please reach out to us. The greatest gift you'll ever receive is what you've just received. The second response to what God has said here is if you are a child of God, if you are a brother and sister in Jesus Christ, the second response is to make sure that I am living changed with a purpose. I am living changed by the power of God and that I am living a life that is, that is fully embracing that new practice of changing the world by mimicking Christ. There may be a, a place in your life, and I know this week I've done kind of some soul-searching myself. There are areas of my life where I can say, I'm really not seeking to mimic Christ like I should. I'm just holding on to Derek. And any time I hold on to Derek, I'm pushing Jesus out. And that cannot happen. So this week I've had to do business with him, and I'm asking you, maybe that's something that you need to do, an inventory. God, where am I holding you out? Where in my life am I holding you out to where I'm not embracing the new practice of being a believer? that we trust him for the grace he's given. Thank you for listening today. At Graceway, our strongest desire is to glorify Christ by telling everyone about his grace. If you have questions or are in need of spiritual help, please reach out to us by visiting www.gracewaylex.org and click on the Contact Us section. Or you can email us at gracewaylex at gmail.com. Our worship services are held each Sunday at 1030 a.m. We'd love to worship with you this week. Until next time, take care and walk in the way of grace.